You are tuning in to On The Money with Dynamic Funds, a podcast series that delivers access to some of the industry's most experienced active managers and thought leaders. We're sitting down to ask them the pertinent questions to find out their insights on the market environment and navigating the investment landscape. Welcome to another edition of On The Money. I'm Mark Brisley, Head of Dynamic Funds. We're recording this podcast on Wednesday, January 20th, 2021. Obviously a significant day in the context that the dominant subject of the last few months, both politically and economically, has entered a new phase. So even as we look forward now with certainty around election outcomes in the US, hope on the pandemic front with positive vaccine news and rollouts, the fact is we still find ourselves in a current investing landscape of low bond yields and a low rate or lower for longer interest rate environment, both of which continue to pose challenges for investors and their search for yield or income within portfolios. Given this, it's no surprise we've seen an increase in investor demand for less volatile and higher yielding assets to diversify portfolios, such as those of today's subject, preferred shares. Preferred shares are an integral part of Canadian investors' roster of investable assets that exist in a variety of structures, each with their own features, benefits and opportunities, but also a fair amount of technicalities. My guest today brings a lot of experience to the subject and I'm pleased to have him here. Roger Rouleau joined our firm back in 2012 as a member of the Dynamic Credit Team, which is responsible for managing over $6 billion in credit-related asset classes, including investment-grade corporate bonds, high-yield bonds, and loans, along with floating rate and credit absolute return strategies, and of course, preferred shares. Roger has more than 17 years of industry experience that includes analytical and portfolio management responsibilities in the corporate bond, high yield bond, and preferred share markets within North America. Roger, thanks for joining us today, and and I'm going to dive uh, right into our first question. But before we go into the intricacies of the preferred share market's current state, just wanted you to give us an overview of what the benefits are of owning preferred shares, and in particular, this environment. Preferred shares are what we uh, call hybrid securities, uh, which means they're essentially a mix between uh, equity and debt. So what that means to the layman is that they are higher yielding and can produce a higher potential return than uh, a bond uh, from the same company, but they'll have a lower return and lower risk than the equity. And so in today's environment, what they represent is an attractive way to increase yield in your portfolio while still sticking to strong and very creditworthy companies. And also perhaps a little word on their structure. This is one of the few segments of the fixed income asset class uh, that actually likes higher rates. Typically, uh, lower rates is good for fixed income, higher rates is bad. This is the one corner of the, of the fixed income market that actually prefers the opposite. And so they, they really represent a, an, an, interesting, uh, an interesting tool in, in today's market environment. So as we think about uh, what we've gone through in the last year, and obviously uh, there wasn't uh, any area in the market that hasn't been affected somewhat by this global pandemic we've been experiencing, preferred shares uh, were also affected uh, during the market turmoil of the early pandemic phase. We've seen them rally back uh, as, as nerves have calmed. So can you walk us through a little bit about why preferred shares are rallying right now? And, and what do you expect going forward in 2021? And, and what's your outlook on the redemption front? 2020 was really about ebbing credit risk. Um, you know, if you buy a preferred share um, from any given issuer, you're, you're really lending them money. And, and there definitely were some times in 2020 where uh, you didn't want to lend money to anybody. 
because that was the world we were in, very high credit risk, uh, a lot of risk in general, I would say. Uh, and so the recovery we saw in 2020 was in, in very large part due to the calming of the credit markets and the realization, if you will, that you know it's, it's okay to lend money to, to these companies. 2021 is going to be driven by a shrinking asset class. Um, and so we see you know, 10 to 20% of the Canadian preferred share market potentially disappearing, essentially being redeemed by the issuers. Uh, and this, we think, is going to be a very strong tailwind. You know, um, Finance 101 is uh, if there are more buyers than sellers, uh, the market goes up. And of course, if there are more sellers than buyers, the market goes down. And when you have issuers of preferred shares redeeming hundreds of, of millions of dollars worth of preferreds, that's a lot of buying, if you will. Uh, we think that that tailwind is, is really going to be driving the market in 2021. So when we think about some of the expected redemptions, what does this mean then for retail investors who currently own preferred shares? And, and by that, I'm referring to you know uh, individual or even preferred share mutual funds or ETFs. The first impact really is going to be that positive tailwind. You know, if you are invested in an individual preferred share and, and it gets called, uh, or you're invested in a mutual fund or an ETF that owns it, then those dollars are going to have to find a new home. Now, obviously, nothing forces any investor from putting that money back to work in preferreds, but some of that money has to stay. So, for example, if you're invested in a mutual fund that, that has to be invested in Canadian preferreds or an ETF that has to be invested in Canadian preferreds, um, then that money will have to be recycled. And there's going to be a positive impact there. What it also means, though, is there's going to be a lot of money in motion, right? And so, you know, when we look at uh, some of the passive instruments that are out there, such as CPD or, or ZPR, um, you know, these are rules driven, right? So there's no Mark Brisley or Roger Rouleau sitting there saying, okay, where's the best allocation of this capital? They just follow the rules. And the money that's going to have to be reallocated uh, at the very minimum through these products is massive. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars that's going to have to flow from these preferreds getting called into, into what remains in the market. And so I think the opportunity here is twofold. One is, well, this is going to be positive for preferreds, all else equal. Uh, and as you mentioned, you know, today we're sort of it's the dawn of a new era, if you will, uh, with uh, President Biden coming in. You know, I say all else equal because who knows what the future reserves. Uh, but this is definitely going to be a strong tailwind. And the other thing it means is that there's going to be a lot of opportunities to benefit from being where this money has to go. Uh, because obviously, you know, uh, if there's hundreds of millions of dollars trying to buy the same things, well, the owners of those things are potentially very well positioned uh, to benefit from uh, from those flows. And, and so I think there's going to be uh, a very large opportunity for active managers such as myself to take advantage of these flows uh, for our clients. At the top of the introduction of this podcast, Roger, we talked a little bit about, you know, the thirst for income and, and the search for yields, portfolio diversification, elements of portfolio construction, just huge subject matter for, for Canadian investors right now. If we're talking about what factors investors need to consider before buying preferred shares, if they're not already exposed in light of what you've talked about, the current market conditions, what are some of the factors that you know we really should be focused on and what kind of an allocation should an investor be considering? Well, so the answer to the, how these fit into your portfolio, uh, I think really comes down to risk tolerance. Um, and so, you know, if you look at the performance of preferred shares over the years, it becomes quite clear that they don't play defense very well. And so when you're constructing your portfolio, 
you know, it's, it's my view, and I think this is sort of financial orthodoxy as well, uh, that you need to have some ballast in there, right? And historically, that's been your fixed income allocation. It's been your bonds. Uh, because they're what does well when we go into a recession where there's a spike in risk uh, uh, here or there. And so when you're thinking about how to use preferreds, I think you have to keep in mind the fact that they do not play that defensive role. Uh, and so, you know, how much should you have in preferreds and so on and so forth, I think really comes down to what else do you own? Because you need that defense in your portfolio and, and preferreds don't really provide that. Now, now, why don't they provide that? You know, they're, they're fixed income instruments, but preferred shares are very sensitive to uh, the credit environment, right? You know, if you buy a preferred share from a, you know, a Royal Bank, for example, you're lending money to Royal Bank. And so the health of Royal Bank becomes important to you. And obviously, in a recession, while well, we start worrying about, you know, the creditworthiness of different issuers, and so that is an exposure that you take on. Now, I mean, we can debate the, the actual amount of risk we take if we're lending money to very large uh, financial institutions such as Royal Bank. Uh, but regardless, that is a risk you're taking. And preferred shares, and I kind of touched on this earlier, do not like lower rates; they like higher rates. Um, and this is sort, this is structural. This is how they're how the product's designed. You know, the higher rates go, the higher your your coupons go, the higher your cash flow goes. Um, and of course, the flip side is the lower rates go, the, the lower your cash flow. And so, you know, if we were to go into a, a period of turbulence, you know, both from the credit standpoint and from the rate standpoint, uh, they, they do not provide a lot of protection. Now, you know, why are we talking about preferreds today? Well, that is because, you know, what we see over the next coming 12 to 24 months is an economic recovery. Uh, and with that, I think there's a level of comfort from the taking credit risk standpoint. And, um, you know, with, with yields as low as they are, investors can definitely be forgiven for thinking that the next move in rates is going to be higher. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean it's coming tomorrow, um, you know, because we are in the midst of the vaccine rollout. Uh, but at some point, there will be a, a world in which we'll have higher rates, and that would be a positive for this asset class. So, you know, a, a good way to, to get yield and potentially position for a continued recovery is why we're looking at these. But, you know, when you're thinking of your allocation, I think you really need to think of the risk side of things. Before we dove into the questions, we did talk about, you know, there are some technicalities within the marketplace uh, to be aware of. Uh, some of that comes down to the terms we use. We do, uh, we do love our acronyms in this industry. We had a question for you around LRCNs or limited recourse capital notes. There was a pretty significant event back in, in uh, sort of uh, mid to late 2020 with issuance of an LRCN by Royal, as an example. Um, can you walk us through a little bit about what an LRCN is, why it's relevant to the preferred share market, and has you know anyone followed since RBC's issuance? And then would we see any of this take place in non-banking financial institutions or non-financial issuers? You know, in finance, we do love our acronyms, and uh, we do like making things much more complicated than they have to be. I think the way to think of LRCNs is that they're preferred shares. They do everything a preferred share does, except for two things. So one is uh, they pay an in interest. And so that is, of course, you know, in a taxable account for an investor, not a good thing. In a, in a non-taxable, in, in a registered account, it's fine. Uh, for the issuer, though, interest is much better than dividends, right? Preferred shares typically pay dividends. And so from a taxation standpoint, for the issuer, they much prefer paying interest. And so that's one big difference for the LRCN. And the other big difference is that they're sold to bond investors, right? So think of your LRCN as a, as a preferred structured as a bond. It pays interest because that's what bonds do, not dividends like a preferred, and it's sold to bond investors. And bond investors, of course, have deeper pockets and longer arms than preferred share investors. And so there's a lot more demand for potential LRCN issuance. 
without getting into the specific differences between LRCNs and preferreds, those are the, those are the two things that really stand out. Uh, you know, Royal brought the inaugural issue. They've been followed by a lot of banks, and we expect to see more of those. Thus far, LRCNs have only been issued by banks. The door is, uh, I would say, very wide open for insurance companies. It's not clear that they will be allowed to issue LRCNs yet, but OSFI uh, has been talking about it, and we expect to hear from them soon. And personally, my view is that uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they were allowed to issue LRCNs. But for anyone who can't issue an LRCN, there is a structure that's very, very similar. The distinctions between the two really don't matter, and that is the hybrid structure. Uh, and so, you know, again, hybrid structure is sort of a preferred share that's structured as a bond. You know, the, the, the details are slightly different than the LRCN. Uh, for the issuer, the LRCN is better. So if you can do both, you do the LRCN. But uh, they accomplish a lot of the, of the same things. And that is in the capital structure of the issuer, they can replace preferreds, right? The regulators and rating agencies see them as the same. Uh, and the coupons are paid in interest, so an, an advantage for the issuer, uh, and they're sold to bond investors. So very, very, very similar. Uh, and we would expect that uh, anyone who can issue LRCNs to issue LRCNs to redeem preferreds or in lieu of issuing preferreds. And I would expect anyone who can't issue LRCNs to turn to the hybrid market. And, you know, why would we see all these redemption activity in 2021 really comes down to the attractiveness of the pricing that's available on the LRCN and the hybrid side. Uh, and so, you know, if you think of, a, you know, what would it cost to issue an LRCN and you look at, at the yields paid on, on preferreds, you see that there's an opportunity here for a lot of the issuers to take them out. You know, one of the particularities of, of the structure of preferred shares is that um, they're redeemable only on the on the reset date. You know, 80% of the market is, is, uh, has the rate reset structure, which means that um, every five years you get a new coupon and every five years you're callable. And in 2021, a lot of very expensive preferred shares are callable. Uh, and so um, I would expect to see a lot of issuance of LRCNs and hybrids come uh, in order to take out uh, the preferred shares or a lot of the preferred shares that are resetting in 2021. So we've covered actually quite a bit of ground on redemptions, and you just touched there on an outlook towards new issues. New issuance seems to go in waves over various market cycles. Do you see a possibility for more uh, or a broader new issuance environment in 2021? Well, I think that if you can issue an LRCN, you issue an LRCN, and if you can issue a hybrid, you issue a hybrid. You know, the ones who will look at the preferred share market, you know, as of today, let's say, are issuers that cannot access uh, the hybrid market. Now, that could be because they're too small, uh, or it could be because they're not creditworthy enough. You know, to access the deep pool of capital that exists in the bond markets, you do have to have a certain credit quality. And so I think we likely will see some issuance in preferreds, uh, but it's going to be in, in large part from these smaller, less creditworthy issuers. Now, that could change uh, because, you know, obviously we're looking at, at where LRCNs and hybrids can be issued today. Um, you know, nothing says that difference in funding cost uh, will be there tomorrow. You know, obviously, if the uh, LRCN and hybrid markets sell off, well, then, you know, the, the attractiveness to issuers there will, will be reduced. And if the Canadian preferred share market overheats, uh, well, then we could see financing terms at more attractive levels in the preferred share market than in the hybrid market. But as of right now, there's there's a big gap between the two. And so I don't see that changing. But, you know, 
I have uh, <laughs> I have been managing preferreds for for over 13 years now, and uh, you know, there in those 13 years, there definitely have been periods of overheating where we, uh, you know, there has been bad behavior and. Uh, financing terms uh, have been extended to issuers at levels that that in retrospect didn't make any sense and so i you know i, I wouldn't be surprised if one day we get back to that but uh, that's not uh, what i expect to see over the next uh, 12 to 24 months but of course that can change yeah another area that we get a lot of questions about as well roger and, and you know the chatter I, I think maybe it's calmed over the last little while but uh, the chatter around rates uh, continues and questions around the impact or the potential for a negative rate environment in canada or the u.s it seems low, but what would be the impact of negative rates in, in Canada and the United States on the preferred share market if it were to happen? Let's talk about the impact first, and then let's talk about, you know, in what world would we see this? And so the, the impact of negative rates on preferred shares would be very bad. Uh, and that would be for three reasons. Uh, one is obviously that the initial impact of lower rates, whether they're negative or, or not, but just lower than where they are today, is negative on the asset class. And that is because you know, with 80% of the asset class rate reset, lower rates mean lower coupons. And uh, lower coupons mean lower cash flow and, and obviously mean lower prices. And so, you know, if we were to go to negative rates, well, then anyone owning a preferred share would see, you know, the expected future cash flows uh, come down. Now, obviously, you know, if the you know, rates go negative today, you know, that doesn't mean that your coupon comes down right away. Uh, but that would be the expectation. You know, we we're already in a lower for longer type environment. Uh, you know, if we were to go to negative rates, well, then you know, one would expect rates to stay negative or remain low. Uh, so that's the first order impact, and that's and that's negative. You know, the world in which we we feel negative rates are necessary is probably one in which we're worried about credit, right? And what we've seen from from Europe uh, and Japan is that negative rates hurts your banks a lot, right? So you know, earlier I took Royal Bank as an example, but it would be the case for any any large bank. You know, in a world in which we have negative rates is probably one where we're a little worried about lending money to, to pretty much anybody uh, and, and, you know, the banking industry in, in, as well. And so credit worries are also be negative for, uh, for preferred shares. Uh, and the third one is outflows. You know, um, what we've seen is that uh, uh, inflows and outflows can move the preferred share market quite a bit. Um, you know, liquidity is not always uh, spectacular. And in an environment where we think negative rates are required, I would assume there'd be a lot of emotion involved in on the investing side. Uh, and so outflows would probably be um, quite negative. And this, this would be consistent with what we saw in March and April of last year. So negative rates are bad. Um, now, what would it take to see negative rates in Canada? Well, you know, I think you'd have to see uh, central banks decide that they, or central bank, Bank of Canada decide that that we need a lot of stimulus right now, um, and I think you'd have to see the Bank of Canada have exhausted a lot of the other tools in their in their toolbox before turning to negative rates. So you know what what kind of tools in the toolbox do we see? Well, you know, bond buying programs, right? You know, Bank of Canada is buying government to Canada bonds, provincial bonds, and investment. Uh, grade credit bonds. Now, they haven't bought a lot of investment grade bonds, uh, but we could see them expand that. The Federal Reserve right now is buying high yield bonds, right? So, so riskier bonds uh, in order to provide support. We could see the Bank of Canada do that. So they could, they could increase the size of the buying. They could increase the criteria, uh, loosen the criteria, if you will, uh, uh, increase the, the pool of bonds that they, they'd be available to buy. I think we'd see things like this used first. 
before we see negative rates, but then ultimately we could see negative rates. You know, what we've seen out of Europe sort of fits with that with that narrative in the sense that when things got tough in March and April and May of last year, they cut rates a little bit uh, just to say that they did. But what they really did is they started buying a lot of, of bonds uh, to provide that support. So I would expect to see the same thing here. But of course, if uh, if we're going to hell in a handbasket, uh, then you know I think all, all options are on the table. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the Bank of Canada cut rates and negative if that were the case. Uh, you know, in, in my mind, it really is a tool of last resort because, as I mentioned, it really hurts your banking industry. If you're trying to keep the, the economic system and the financial system functioning, uh, well, you sort of need your banks to be able to play their role. Oh, Roger, thanks for unpacking a lot of the information that there are in those questions. And, and um, you know, I, I wanted to refer back to you a commentary that you and your team put out uh, just this past December. And, you know, you said COVID related restrictions, notwithstanding that December was a happy period for investors uh, across almost all risky asset classes. Uh, we saw them moving higher and that preferred shares weren't left out in the cold. We've talked about diversification benefits to the portfolio and having preferreds in there. So I guess it's a pretty simple question, but your outlook for 2021 uh, seems fairly positive and uh, that uh, you're, you're relatively bullish on investors looking at this as a component of, of portfolios going forward, particularly if they're not already there. Well, as you know, Mark, there's nothing guaranteed in investing, but you know, I have been uh, investing in preferred shares for 13 plus years now. And you know, what I see from my seat is that this is an asset class that that over the long run has struggled to deliver the goods to investors. But when I look into those 13 years, what I see is there's a, a lot of excellent returns over those years and, and then some years that have been harder. And so, uh, you know, certain environments, certain setup has driven those excellent years. And when I look at 2021, um, what I see is is an attractive setup. You know, credit risk is uh, being muted, if you will, by uh, the solidity of balance sheets, by the involvement of governments in providing support to the economy, by the involvement of central banks providing support to financial markets. And so credit risk is not something that we really worry about. Um, rates are uh, low. Um, and I think that, you know, uh, the case can be made that they will either remain low or they will move higher. You know, uh, we are rolling out the vaccine, and and so I, I think a very reasonable uh, view would be that risks kind of get reduced, and and we can sort of see a normalization of interest rates, and that would be positive for the asset class. Uh, and the technical tailwind, I think, is going to be with us for the next twelve to twenty four months. And and you know, having seen this in the past, this is a very strong boost to returns. Uh, and so, of course, you know, the, nothing's guaranteed, but all else equal, we see a pretty attractive setup for preferred shares over twenty twenty one. And um, and so I think that uh, you know when when you're looking at your fixed income allocation, you should have a look at preferreds uh, because the setup looks pretty good and they can provide some attractive diversification and yield enhancement for uh, for your portfolio in in 2021. Uh, you know this isn't a sort of 20 year set it and forget it type allocation. Uh, I don't think, uh, but as a one to two year type tactical uh, opportunity, I I, I think um, I think that makes a lot of sense to me and is worth having a closer look. Well, Roger, thanks for taking us through all that. Lots to unpack here. Asset class diversification has become increasingly important and uh, preferred shares are an effective portfolio construction tool for investors. So really appreciate your insights and joining us today. Thanks a lot for having me, Mark. Thank you. 
And thanks to all of our listeners for joining us today. If you would like more information on the subject, feel free to visit us at dynamic.ca, where you can find more information about this particular subject and uh, many other relevant subjects to uh, the Canadian investing landscape. But of course, here at Dynamic, we believe the best source of information is to seek out the services of a qualified financial advisor as we stand behind our tagline, invest with advice. Thank you for joining us. Stay safe, stay healthy. You've been listening to another edition of On The Money with Dynamic Funds. For more information on Dynamic and our complete fund lineup, contact your financial advisor or visit our website at dynamic.ca. This audio has been prepared by 1832 Asset Management LP and is provided for information purposes only. Views expressed regarding a particular investment, economy, industry, or market sector should not be considered an indication of trading intent of any of the mutual funds managed by 1832 Asset Management LP. These views are not to be relied upon as investment advice, nor should they be considered a recommendation to buy or sell. These views are subject to change at any time based upon markets and other conditions, and we disclaim any responsibility to update such views. To the extent this audio contains information or data obtained from third-party sources, it is believed to be accurate and reliable as of the date of publication. But 1832 Asset Management LP does not guarantee its accuracy or reliability. Nothing in this document is or should be relied upon as a promise or representation as to the future. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of return are the historical annual compound total returns, including changes in unit values. And reinvestment of all distributions does not take into account sales, redemption, or option changes, or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated.